Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Domino's, we're fans of all pizza. That's why we're rewarding you for eating any pizza from anywhere, even if it's not ours. From my local pizza place? That counts. From the frozen section? Sure. From that other big pizza chain? Any pizza. Seriously? Seriously. Just download the Domino's app and sign into your pizza profile. Then use the app to scan any pizza and you could earn 10 Piece of the Pie rewards points toward free Domino's pizza. Limited time offer open only to Piece of the Pie rewards members. Point distribution will vary and quantities are limited. Restrictions apply. Visit pointsforpies.com for details. Okay, welcome into the latest duly noted podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. Uh, again, it's just amazing to me how many times somebody comes back and says, "Hey, love your podcast." I'm, that's great. That's great to hear. I don't. I never get tired of it. Um, we got a lot of things to talk about today. Kind of a potpourri or a patpourri, as we used to call it. Uh, and we'll start out with the completion of Sign Day because when I last did a podcast, obviously it was Tuesday in Florida at Signing Day, as everybody did on Wednesday. And it ended up really good for Florida. The Chris Bogle thing was, uh, I don't think it was a surprise, because I think I, I believe I told you that that could go either way, and it ended up going the right way for Florida. Um, most of the guys that they didn't get that they were on the board with were not were certainly not surprises. And uh, a, a great class for Florida, finishing ninth in the nation, for whatever that's worth. You know, if they'd finished 11th, uh, that, that would have been a disaster. But ninth, they're okay. I mean, you're basically talking about one player who may not never play for you, and, and may transfer after his first year. You know, uh, I, I think Andy Staples used to do this: go back and re-rank the classes, and it's it's a totally different world. But that's but look, I'm not saying recruiting isn't important. We've talked about this; it, it's hugely important, and I think it was really important for Florida this year to keep up. Not so so much we got to. All right, we beat Georgia and, and Alabama for each for a recruit. I think they're going to be all right. I wouldn't worry too much about Georgia and Alabama's recruiting. But, yeah, it's significant to, to win those battles. But the bottom line is you got to keep up because, you know, LSU did what they did. And uh, Tennessee had a huge class. And obviously Georgia was number two. So um, it's, it's not even so much about winning the day. Whether you're ranked one, two, three, four, don't, don't matter. And probably – down to five or six and seven, eight, nine don't are no that not that much different from ten, eleven, twelve. It's just arbitrary rankings. But you gotta keep up. And you can't have any more a, a bad recruiting day. And you know, we when you looked at Florida's recruiting classes the previous four years, they were all in double figures. They weren't terrible classes, but they didn't have elitism about them. Some players were kind of elite. I, I mean, really, who was other than Ja'Kai Polite will be the only player on the Florida team last year that I thought was an elite player. Now, they had great players. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was unbelievable. You know, David Reese, uh, I love the way um, C.J. Henderson played. I don't know that he was an elite player. And I'm not saying he can't be. But the point being, if you get elite athletes and you get elite recruits, then what can you do with that? 
You know, as I mentioned in my column, you know, Scott Strickland on, on the day Dan Mullen was hired said he had a friend in Mississippi who told him, I always knew an AD was going to wonder what Dan Mullen could do with elite recruits, and now he's he's taken another big step towards him. So it was it was good that Florida uh, had this this nice day. And, you know, somebody said, well, you know, Urban Meyer's second class was ranked, I don't know, first or second in the country. And I pointed out to this person, well, look, guys, at that point in his coaching career, Nick's, he wasn't dealing really with Nick Saban. Nick Saban was just getting started. He wasn't dealing with a powerful Georgia team. Georgia was the team that never could quite get there. He was not. He was dealing with an FSU program on the decline, and everybody knew Bowden was going to get out. When was he going to get out? I don't know who the coach. Eh, I they say it's Jimbo Fisher, but who? Miami was not a power by any means, and they are now. And FSU is on the decline now. I don't know if they're on the decline, but uh, seven and six, five and seven is a bit of a steep uh, cliff to be going off of. And I don't know what they're going to do this year. But I, I do think it was a little bit easier. And the other thing is for Urban is that he had a Tim Tebow. And if Tim Tebow was coming out today, if he was a, a high school senior and this was his recruiting class, He'd have gone to Florida. He's a guy who's a Gator fan his whole life. Um, you could make an argument, well, Saban wasn't at Alabama then. That was the chief rival. But I still think his connection to Florida was was too great. And Dan Mullen ran the exact offense he wants to run. Where, you know, as we saw for four years. Or not for four, right? No, yeah, all four years. Um, I get confused on offensive coordinators. The point being... That's the kind of guy that changes is a class changer. And then, of course, you had in Percy Harvin, Brandon Spikes, all those other guys. It was an unbelievable class. Best class ever at Florida, in my opinion. But they just they did just fine. I, I, I had this stat in the paper the other day. The SEC had 51 players invited to the combine. I think the next was Ohio with 36, something like that, maybe 38. And then Georgia with 30-something as well. So that's the point. You've got to you've got to get you you've got to close the state as much as you can. You can't close it completely. It's impossible. You've got to get those kind of players and get that kind of talent on board and then let's see what you can do with them. And we saw in one year what Dan Mullen did with the talent he had. Again, not elite talent. Jakai Polite, I I you know, I don't know if he was if they made him that great. I know he was a really good player before, but did they make him elite? Did they take a step? You can argue that. But going into last year, you know, had no clue that there were elite players on the team. Now, guys played at elite levels. Am I making any sense at this point? All right, that, maybe I should just take a break. We'll come back. we got more college football to discuss. We'll get into some college basketball. We'll talk about the Gators and uh, also a lot of other stuff. We get, we're going to talk Steve Spurrier football and – Softball and baseball and some other stuff like that. Chris Lowe's going to join us from ESPN when we come, not when we come back, but after the next break. Okay. So let's take a break and we'll come back with more on the duly noted podcast at gatorsports.com. The Gators are definitely on a roll under Coach Mullen, and next year should be even better. Winning is great for the program, but not for everything. Did you know what winning also does? 
it creates difficulty finding hotel rooms around game day. Oh, no. Most hotels triple their normal rate and charge at least two nights minimum. What? And if the Gators really start winning, everything will be sold out way in advance. No! No! Have you ever thought about owning your own place in Gainesville to use for you and your friends and family on game day weekends? Call Betsy Pepin, the top realtor in Gainesville and sponsor of the Dewey Noted podcast at 352-226-8474. And she'll help you find that perfect place for whenever you come to Gainesville. And when you're not using the place, she'll Airbnb it and take care of all the details. Betsy makes it easy for you to enjoy game day weekends instead of paying five-star rates for a one-star motel. Own your game days next year. Call Gainesville's number one realtor, Betsy Pepin, today. 352-226-8474. You know, it's... um. I was telling myself this, and I tell myself things all the time. One thing I was I was telling myself the other day is I think Florida is going to be overrated in the preseason. I think people are going to look at well, the quarterback's back. They, you see him in the bowl game, man. They were unbelievable. They were on a roll. Um, and look at the, the, how well they did in recruiting, and they're going to have them in the six seven range. And I'm not sure they're still there's that they're that good yet. They may be. They may fool me. Now, again, a whole nother offseason with Nick Savage. A whole spring where you're not installing things, you're going over them. And this, this could be a program that's ready to explode. I'm still not sure they're there on elite talent, which is what we talked about. Um, so they may be a little bit overrated early in the year. And I mentioned this the other day. The Miami game feels like a huge game for this program in so many ways. Now, you lose to, to Miami in that game in Orlando. And now you're trying to win the SEC and you're trying to win out to get in the playoffs, which really is their goal. And it should be their goal. I don't think they're a high percentage bet, but. Not only that, but you're losing to Miami, team you hate, state rivals. People in South Florida hate Miami more than they do FSU. Believe me, it's not even close. Um, I just feel like that that's a huge game. But it's a long way off, isn't it? And I was talking to somebody about this. I don't know why I keep referring to what I was doing before. All right. <laughs> Let me start that part over. Okay, so... College football has gotten better at lengthening their season. In other words, you know, but the, when you watch the NFL, how how big the king is, how big a deal it is, it's it's amazing. Because I was sitting here today, and I'm like, there, there's all these draft stories, mock drafts, this in the draft, this guy's dropping, this guy's falling. What's going on here? Um Kyler Murray declares for the draft. That takes a slot up, you know, that maybe somebody else. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons blew out his ACL from Mississippi State. Now he may fall out of the first round. There's all this speculation. And I go, when is the draft? It's got to be coming up, you know, somewhat soon. April 25th. So you only have, what, two months and a couple weeks. But that's why they're the king. That's why the NFL is a king. 
That's why the NFL had a bad Super Bowl and still, what was it, what was it, a 48 or something rating? To give you an example of how big a deal it is, the big story uh, in TV this weekend was that the AAF actually outdrew the NBA game. It had a 2-1 versus a 2-0. Super Bowl 48-49, you know, whatever. Everybody watches the Super Bowl. There's no question the NFL's king, but college football's gotten a little bit better at it in terms of um, having stuff going on. And, you know, obviously you're going to have spring games and there are more television on that, but it's spring games. Does anybody really want to watch? I barely want to watch Florida's, let alone anybody else's. When I'm when I'm flipping around in the summer and they go, and now uh, we go to the uh, Arkansas spring game, I'm like, there is nothing. I love football more than anything. There is nothing, nothing that would make me want to watch a spring game. Nothing. Alligators and, and moats, maybe I don't know. But that's that's part of the problem. Is the, is college football basically goes dark from now until media days. And then it's exciting for about four days, and then it kind of goes quiet again for a while. And I don't know that the answer to that. Spring games aren't, aren't enough to get the average fan. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the average sports fan, not the average college football fan, not the fan of your school. You're looking for the average fan. And I, don't, I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't have an answer to it. It's just the way it's built. These kids do need their time away from the sport. Um, you know, so it just kind of quiets down. But, you know, in a way, it's kind of a good thing, concentrating on other things. Um, one thing, and this is funny because last week's podcast, there were three things that I talked about that by the end of the day had totally changed. And anybody who's listening to the podcast Wednesday is going, Dooley's an idiot. I think one of them was Anthony Richardson. I was talking about him, and then he decommitted that evening. And then there was two basketball games where I was like, that's the opposite of what I said would happen, or the opposite of – I don't even remember what games there were. So I'm hesitant to talk about Todd Grantham right now because as we speak, something could be happening. He's apparently the leader in the clubhouse for the Cincinnati defensive coordinator job. And uh, look, whatever he wants to do, it's his life and – as I said before, you always whatever is the best thing for you in your profession, do it. I mean, I never feel angry at a coach for leaving. You may maybe a little bit at Manny Diaz if you're a Temple fan. I get that, but even then, he's bettering his situation. It seems like things could have been thought out a little better, but they weren't. Maybe uh, who was the guy that went to Arizona State? Todd Graham, who left a uh, text for his players to tell him he was leaving or Bobby Petrino left. A, I think he left a post-it note, right? <laughs> that he was leaving. Yeah. There's, there's times when it's okay to be mad at a guy, but uh, coaches are the thing you always have to remember. Always. This is the, the first commandment of the Dooley rules is that you care way amount more about your school than any coach ever has. And that even includes Steve Spurrier. You care more about Florida than Steve Spurrier does because Steve Spurrier coached against Florida. Um, and I'm not, I'm not being critical. I mean, he had to do what was best for him. That was the only job open. And he took. he's told me that a million times. That was the only job I could get. And so you wouldn't go root for another team for six years, seven years, right? Twelve years, whatever it was. But I'm just saying – 
coaches are not like coaches are not all about the university and they're not all about gators and they're not all about the tide and they're not all about the bulldogs and they're not all about the wildcats they're about their job this is my job and in order to do my job and sell my job i have to be the biggest supporter of my university i can be doesn't mean coaches aren't happy where they are and and thrilled i think dan mullen we've seen him at the last couple of gymnastics meets sure he's thrilled to be where he is he's not going anywhere but all of a sudden the 49ers want to try the his offense on the west coast and they're going to pay him 10 million dollars you know i'm not saying he would even go for that the point of it is if todd grantham leaves or stays you know, I think it's better if he stays. These guys know the defense. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them move a assistant up to that job, Christian Robinson probably. But, again, I don't want to talk too much about it because of what we just said. You know, By the time you guys listen to this, it may be old news. Um, so let's shift to basketball. Uh, the week went pretty what we, much, we, what we thought. Florida playing two really good teams. On the road, one of them's number one, one of them's a tournament team. Um, and, you know, neither one worked out. And ne- I don't think I don't think anybody was real invested in those games. You know, I watched some of the Tennessee game uh, at a place, and people were cheering for it. You know, they were cheering, but it wasn't like they, – it's just what this team is. Um, so look, I look. We've talked about this over and over again. Florida's still forty-first in the net ranking, which I don't understand how they do that. Um, but what what surprises me, and it's funny because I had a conversation with Mike Bianchi today, and he said, "Man, what's with these Gator fans? Wow, wow, they all over Mike White." And I'm like, "Look, they want to win. They they have had the greatest heights heights that many schools have never had." Many schools in this conference have never had. I started to look it up. How many schools in this conference have won, not won NCAA titles? And not, just off the top of my head, we know Kentucky won one. We know uh, Arkansas won one. They weren't actually – yeah, they were in the conference. Um, and there, I don't know who else. But there, there are a lot of them that haven't, obviously. A lot of schools have never won one. There are schools that have never been to Final Fours. And Florida fans feel a little entitled from the, the joy they had. But you, you need, you're wasting your breath is all I can tell you. Yes, it's okay to complain. It's okay to say, I don't like what they run in the last part of games. Why can't they win eight, hold on to any leads? Uh, which is something they did a pretty good job of the last two years, holding on to leads when they were won, won all those games, this year is different. I can't explain too much in detail because some of it almost makes no sense. But this team doesn't have it right. They don't have the chemistry. They don't have the leadership within the team. They don't have uh, – they, there's been some issues with some players. and Not major issues, but, you know, where if this guy's on the floor, it's hard to get the ball to him, you know, stuff like that technical things they don't seem to undertake coaching very well they don't seem to take coaching very well 
and they are what they are, okay? It's a bad year. Oh, wait a minute, though. Mike White's his fourth year. He should be better than that in his fourth year. What was Billy in his 18th year? Under 500. You have bad years. The two years after Florida had the national championships, NIT both years. Had one team, I think it was 19 and three or four or something, and ended up going to the NIT. It happens. And Billy's the best coach of all time at Florida. You know, he'd be in the argument in the SEC. Now, obviously, Adolph Rupp and would you put him ahead of Cal Perry if you're doing all time greatest SEC coaches? Yeah, probably would. And he had bad years. It happens sometimes. If you, anybody thinks Mike White's in trouble, I'm just telling you for the last time, no, he's not. He's, a, he's done, doing a great job in everything that you want a coach to do. They're just having trouble this year on the floor. Been to the NCAA tournament the last two years. Got to the Elite Eight. Lost by three points. And then you say, well, Rick Barnes is in his fourth year. He is in his fourth year. And he's got an unbelievable team. And he's done a heck of a job with them. My my hat is off. That is a great basketball team. But last year, with almost the same players, went just as far as Florida. Year before, didn't get in the tournament. So, look, their rise has been a slow one. Florida kind of burst on the scene a little bit, faded a little away. You got big-time recruits coming in next year. There's There's a plan to make things work, and I'm not worried about it. Let's just put it that way. This year is just feels like a wash. And that happens. It, look, first of all, this isn't Duke. This isn't Kentucky. This isn't Kansas. Okay? This is Florida where basketball does not rule. And I think he's, he's the perfect guy for the job. Uh, one good thing, of course, Florida plays Vanderbilt Wednesday night, uh, late game. I'm sure that's not going to be much of a crowd. And I'm not going to sit here and blame you because I'm not going either. I'm um, having trouble with my knee that I will talk about in a minute. But um, I just want to sit this one out, late night game like that. It gets tends to get really sore. Anyway, uh, Graham Hall do a great job. I'm actually going to do a little work on the game from home. Maybe the sign of the times. But um, looking forward to Saturday – not because of who Florida plays. And I think it's Alabama. I don't even know. That's how at Alabama, right? Am I right there? But Kentucky is playing Tennessee. These are two Final Four teams. I was not overly impressed with Kentucky at home when they were here. I'm sorry, when they were in Gainesville. But they're really good. They're a really good team. And I think Florida just played at a high level for a while, as you accustomed to uh, hearing. But they play this game, and I, I wasn't even sure. I had to go double-check. They play again March 2nd. That one will be in Knoxville. That feels like uh, epic games. Just I, I'm looking forward to it. All right, quickly, before we get to Chris Lowe, uh, softball has started off to a good start. Opening up, finally, that facility. It looks amazing from what I've seen. I'm going to get over there this weekend probably and, and take a up-close look at it. Um it, it it looks amazing, and uh, they're off to a really good start. Got some power. Got Kelly Barnhill. 
seems like maybe some of their other pitches are pretty good. But we'll know more about them going forward. And, of course, baseball starts Friday night. Looking forward to watching that. I'll be covering Friday and Sunday's games. Um, and uh, I'm excited about being there. Logan Shore throwing out first pitch. Uh, this is a great time of the year. Baseball and softball starting. We've got still got basketball, even with, with it struggling. Uh, gymnastics, which has been unbelievable. And you got all, you know, major league baseball pitchers and catchers are reporting. The Players' Championship is next month. The Masters after that. Good time of the year uh, to be around. All right, let's take a break and bring on Chris Lowe, my good friend from ESPN.com. Uh, right after this break, you're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast or the Duly Noted Podcast. I slurred my slur. The Duly Noted Podcast on Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better, especially in helping build a better financial future for our members. So we've reviewed our offerings from the ground up. We've lowered or eliminated over half our fees and enhanced our already competitive rates. Saving members more than a million dollars this year, in addition to the millions we save them every year. If you believe that saving money is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. A real pleasure to be joined by my good friend Chris Lowe from ESPN, their senior writer, covers college football like nobody else. And uh, really wanted to get him on to just talk about where everybody is momentum-wise right now. Chris, obviously there are places that have – I mean, Alabama's momentum is a different momentum. They could lose momentum and still have more momentum than anybody else. Uh, even with losing all the coaches and everything. But but how do you think all this is going to affect all the players and coaches they've lost again? Well, it, it looks like he's uh, saving them with seven on the field assistant uh, from last year's staff. I mean, he lost four or five last year, and they just keep recruiting like gangbusters. So, seemingly, it's, it's not going to hurt them. I mean, and, and look at some of the people he's bringing back. I, I think, in a way, he's because last year's staff was the youngest he'd ever had at Alabama. And I think in a way he's trying to sort of get a better mix, a better balance. Because you look at guys like Sal Sinceri has been with him before. Charles Kelly is, is, is a veteran coach who knows that defense and has worked with Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Sarkeesian is going to be his OC. has worked under Nick before. So there are a lot of guys that, that you know have been around, and I think he wants a, a better balance. But listen, as long as you've got to talk about a little throwing the football and I guess – probably returning the best receiving core in America, or one of the best, um, they're going to be a low. I think it was a heavy burden on Saban last year defensively because I think he had to be more involved than he had in the past because he didn't have one of his guys there for the first time, you know, like Kirby Smart, a Jeremy Pruitt, a Kevin Steele, and I think he had to do maybe more teaching than he had in the past. So it'll be interesting to see how that checks out this year, but no, I, I don't see him. Uh, I think he'll be right there swimming in those waters, championship waters again this coming season. Well, there's no question the talent's there. And, it, and I always think that something that doesn't get discussed enough in terms of Nick Saban is his ability to develop talent. 
because very few guys walk in there and you don't have to coach them. You don't have to get them stronger and faster. And he's done an amazing job taking great talent and making and continuing to make it great. And when you look around this conference, that is the key. And, and it's at places like Florida where we saw Dan Mullen just do an amazing job transforming the talent that was here, which wasn't overly, you know, talented group. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think the underrated part of that story with Saban and all programs is when you look at the, the chemistry and the makeup of your strength staff and your training staff, and, and at Alabama in particular with Scott Cochran and Jeff Allen, Jeff's the trainer, Scott's the, the strength coach. Those guys have been together. They've been there from the time Nick got there. And it's a triumvirate that has, you know, they trust each other. They work well with each other. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think when you look around the country, teams that have done well, they typically have that. Now, I think uh, when you look at the first-year coaches around college football last year, guys that made the biggest impact, I think Dan's right up there with what he did at Florida. And I think you could make a case for Jimbo Fisher sure. at A&M. But when I was, I was at both places last preseason, spent some time in, in Gainesville and some time in College Station. And at both places, it just felt different. You know, just the, the, the vibe I got. And and you're right. I, that, that Florida team, the way they played, sort of the way they ended the season, too, uh, really impressive. And, and I think we knew Dan was going to check a couple boxes that, that Florida desperately needed checking. You know, developing quarterbacks, evaluating quarterbacks, getting them ready to play, moving the football, scoring some points. And, and I thought, you know, for the most part, they looked like a well-coached, uh, well, well, football machine. And I think that's a credit to Dan, but it's no surprise when you look at what he did at Mississippi State. I mean, we're the same way there. Well, especially when you watch the Florida FSU game and you see what poor coaching looks like, which we saw on the other sideline, and that was not a good uh, good day for Willie Taggart. Um, you know, the the thing to me, I when everybody always likes to talk about how the West is better than the East, West is better than the East, and uh, and you, there was not there was statistical evidence to back that up. This year, the East won more games, won nine games against the West. You don't hear people say the East is catching up very much. Then you look what Jeremy Pruitt did with his class, what Dan did with his class. You know, you know that um, you know Kentucky doesn't need to have a great class to still be competitive. And we all know about Georgia. It feels like the East may be getting some momentum of its own. Look at the coaches in the East, Pat. I mean, look at the guys that are heading up those programs. Kirby Smart at Georgia. Dan at Florida. Mark Stoops, I think, you know, the old, remember the old, what was the old boxing cliche, pound for pound, he's the best yeah. fighter in the world. I mean, pound for pound, Mark Stoops has done as good a job as any head coach in America the last two or three years. I mean, when you look at the way they've developed players and turned guys that were quote-unquote three stars into five stars, and, and that program has gotten better and better under him. You know, I think Pruitt certainly has recruited well at Tennessee. Now the jury's still out. they got to play better and more consistently on the field. But, you know, his his MO coming in was being able to recruit and, and coach. And I thought Tennessee, for the most part, looked better at, at times last year. But, no, I think the coaching around – and even Derek Mason, you know, he doesn't get the – you know, they haven't won back-to-back – back-to-back 9-1 seasons like Franklin did when he was there. But Vanderbilt has been in so many games, and they've won some, but they're, they're a tough out. They really are. I mean, the Florida game last year, go back to that oh, game. Yeah. So I just think the head coaches, the head coaches, even Barry Owens in Missouri, you know, you look at the situation he walked into there on campus, the strike. Oh, it was a mess, yeah. 
and what he's been able to do. So I really like the head coaches in the East. Not to say that I don't West either, but I think the head coaching lineup um, is really pretty impressive. And I think that's one of the reasons the East has gotten better and seems to be closing the gap. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I had to ask Robbie this before I came in here. I said, Robbie, it's the same 14 guys in Hoover this year, right? I mean, nobody got fired. Uh, that's that's rare, but of course, a lot of times what you have is a purge, and then the guys get a, a year or two, and then you see how it goes. Who do you think's on the hot seat going into this football season? Because I doubt if we're going to go two years in a row without a coach getting canned. Well, I mean, it's you know rare that you go one year in this league yeah. without a guy getting canned, as you just pointed out. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, as I look across. You know the conference right now, Pat, and say, well, this guy has got the best chance to get fired, or is going to have the hardest time making. I mean, Gus Malzahn probably is somebody that, if things are, are comparable next year to what they were this year, you know, I'd say they're going to be even more grumbling. There was a lot of grumbling last year. Listen, there's a ton of people there, all the power people who wanted him out last year, that, that really wanted him out. And I think when you look, obviously they, you know, they were ranked very high and did not fulfill expectations, but it's not like, if you look at his entire time there, they've been a disaster. It's been a little bit inconsistent. You know, they have a really good year and then a not-so-good year. You know, but but the fact that, you know, that, that they're in that same state with the guy we just talked about, I mean, that certainly doesn't make it easy. Uh, I would say Gus, if you had to pick one, but again, his buyout is still going to be massive. Are they willing to pay that much money? One thing I've learned in college football and covering it for because I haven't covered it as long as you have. That's just a nice way of telling so, you that yeah, you're a little bit older. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, um, I get it. Is there, there is no price tag that's too high, Pat. And I, I think you would agree, whether it's a buyout, whether it's what schools or universities pay to uh, to pay coaches, to upgrade facilities, um, to pay assistant coaches, there is no price tag anymore that's too high. So, you know, his buyout still is way up there in the millions. But I, I'm not forward by anything schools pay anymore to coaches to go away. So uh, I would say that Gus would probably be up there. But, you know, that said, you look at who they got back on defense, they got all those defensive linemen back. I'm talking about elite defensive linemen like Derek Brown. Right. Don't be a load again on defense. If they can figure it out on offense, and clearly it's his show now, he's going to call the plays. Got to find a quarterback. Um, I think they'll be a pretty good football team. The schedule's hard. But I think they will improve from where they were last year. Yeah, I, I they they seem like they would on paper, but you know, it almost like there's almost like been this thing where when Auburn you think they're going to be good, they're not. When you don't think they're going to be that good, they are. Right. But right. Uh, it'll be certainly interesting to watch. Um, I'm I'm just curious about this. this. Is something I've written a couple of times about, and with how much of this you see on the road. I, I've written about how fans in this conference and all over America, but I'm just focusing on this conference, don't travel the way they used to. And now I'm sure you're a little surprised to see uh, the story I had recently that Florida's talking about reducing its capacity because all they have to do is take away the visiting fans. There's only a 1,000 or so showing up anyway. And we may be seeing more NFL stadiums as we go forward. Well, especially schools, I don't know if this is in play at Florida's path, they're taking away capacity and trying to build more premium seats. They right. can sell, whether it's club seats or boxes or, you know, the kind of seats where you can sell for a ton of money, whether it's corporations or businesses coming and buying, 
and all that's going to do is help you generate more revenue. A lot of schools, and I've, I've heard rumors of that at Tennessee as well, you know, that you know, everybody's caught up at Tennessee in the 100,000-seat stadium, but reducing the capacity, maybe putting more chairback seats in, and trying to find a way, and not just at Tennessee, but find a way uh, to, to add more premium seating. So I think you're going to see it. Every game's on television. Uh, ticket prices are out the roof. Um, it's just hard. I mean, you tell me, for, for the average guy who's got a family of four that wants to drive, and let, let's say he lives in, I don't know, Naples. He's a, he's a Gator fan. He wants to drive up to Gainesville to see the Gators play, and he wants good seats. Um, it's a night game. You know, so you're probably going to have to get a hotel room. That's a ton of money. That is a ton of money for a guy who's making you know, a modest income to bring his entire family. And I think there's a lot of that around college football, not just in the SEC, with every game on television, high def. Um, it, it, it's hashed and rehashed before and after the game. A lot more people are choosing to watch it on the tube. Well, yeah, and it's it's cheaper and it's more comfortable, and you get to turn it off when it's over and go to sleep. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. There's no question about it. Last thing before I let you go, Chris, uh, did you get a chance to watch the ball coach uh, in his debut Saturday <laughs> night? Here's the best thing about that is he got in a jab at the Redskins. I mean, I'm, right. I'm sure you're very surprised. Right. He did. That was beautiful. That I mean, was beautiful. Uh, it, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be spurred without him poking the bear a little bit, right? Somehow, yeah. I mean, that's... That's Absolutely. what he does. I love Jerry. I love his. I love his wife, Jerry. I love her. Period. But I love the story she's told. I'm sure you've heard it. That you know, years ago when he would start the, you know, the, the jokes and the gigging and poking the bears, he said, you know, I used to sort of go in behind him a little bit and say, you know, you know, what he really meant to say was this. He didn't really mean it the way it came out. And then she told me one time. She said, I started to think, you know what? That's exactly what he meant. That's exactly <laughs> what he was trying to say because that's who he is. But no, I thought it was entertaining. I thought the league period. I watched a couple of games. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I'm a football junkie, as as you are as well. And and I thought that uh, you've know, seen him. And, and Connor Shaw tweeted this, and I agree with what Connor said. The former quarterback at South Carolina who played for for HBC there in Columbia. Football is better when 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 Steve's coaching. And, yeah, absolutely. And it ended it ended regrettably for him at South Carolina, and he would tell you that. that you know, walk away in the middle of the season. That's not the way it was supposed to work. But it's just better all the way around seeing him on the sideline and calling ball plays and, and having fun. I know he's been bored. I know you've talked to him a lot. And he, and he wanted to get back out there. To me, this is the perfect outlet for him. He doesn't have to recruit. You know, you coach for, you know, it's not life-consuming. You coach for part of the year. You call plays. And, and I think that the days, the, the game days were the ones he missed the most. That's what he told me. He said he missed the Saturdays, that you know, the getting ready for that game, calling plays, getting his team ready. And it's good to see him get back out there and do that. He is Chris Lowe, ESPN senior writer. We appreciate his time. We'll be back with more on the Duly Noted podcast right after we take a quick break. Okay, uh, thanks to Chris Lowe for coming on. And um, wanted to mention the AAF, the Amer- Alliance of American Football. I watched three games this weekend. Um, I am one of those people that if you put football on that counts, not spring games, but if it counts, if there's a winner and a loser and they keep standings, I will watch it. And to watch Spurrier mic'd up was just tremendous. Um 
I, I, I hope the league does well. The tennis wasn't great, but this is totally a made-for-TV league with all the things they're doing, the innovations that the NFL eventually will steal. We all know that. Um, and that's the thing. The NFL is always in the news, but it's not always for the right reason. And, you know, the signing this week of um, uh, Hunt by the Browns, and Antonio Brown, you know, getting a not showing up for court after going 100 miles an hour in November and having a ticket and not even showing up. Uh, things like that are also what the NFL is all about. All right. Let oh I, one thing I, I maybe I'll save this for next week because we're running late. I was thinking about this because I wrote about this for our, our magazine. It'll be out I guess this month. If they decide to do a Ring of Honor in basketball, who would be the first five names on it? And I put my five in there. And then I and I also did it for gymnastics because you'd have to do it for gymnastics and women's basketball. But if you were to now you've got a new brand new softball stadium. If you were going to do a, a Ring of Honor, a Wall of Fame for for softball, who would you? Obviously, Lauren Hager would be the first name I'd put in there. Stacy Nelson. Um, and then you then it gets interesting. Certainly, uh, Kelly Barnhill might be might end up on there someday. If you did it for baseball when they when they open theirs, who would you put on there? Shoot me your thoughts on that. I mean, to me, I, I put. Faito on there. I put obviously uh, Brad Wilkerson on there. But, but there's so many good players. It's hard to it'd be hard to limit it to five. That's what they deal with with that Ring of Honor. Even though I don't agree with everything. All right, let's go ahead. It's time for three things. It's time for three things. Number one. Big news this week, Ole Miss vacating 33 wins from the Hugh Freeze era. Does anybody really care when you vacate wins? I mean, I've never been able to understand why the NCAA thinks it is a punishment. Your punishment is ban bowl, scholarship reduction, restrictions on recruitings, which they got all that too. Why just why hop this on there? The only reason I think that they they do this is because technically you were playing with an ineligible player, and even though we don't have to, it doesn't matter. You didn't win anything, you know, super about that. Yeah, you beat Alabama and you tore the goalpost down. You still did that. You still probably have a picture in your den of it if you're an Ole Miss fan. You're not gonna that memory's never going to go away. So why bother with it? But it's almost like it's a technicality that we have to do that. That's the only thing I can think of why they still do that. Uh, number two on three things, um, the transfer portals whirring all over the place, people going everywhere. And, of course, Justin Fields uh, declared eligible by Ohio State, which was really surprisingly quick. Um, I don't, I, that's, remember Van Jefferson, and that was more complicated with Van Jefferson. And Shea Patterson, because um, they had, I mean, they were basically saying that they were lied to. Or, I mean, Justin Fields, basically, there was a social media post that was racist. And that's, I think, I think, I'm not 100% sure that was one of the things he was using for his. But whatever, I'm happy he's playing. I'm happy anybody wants to play. I mean, Tate Martell gets eligible for Miami. Good for them. 
Good for good for Tate Martell. I don't think anybody should ever sit out, personally. But the interesting thing to me is, what if Justin Fields isn't that great? We don't know that he's great. We know he's great from high school. When he played, a few plays he played in college, they didn't trust him very much. Maybe he has trouble with the playbook. Maybe he has trouble processing. You know, how there's some guys that go back and they've learned everything, and I'm not going to mention names, and then all of a sudden, uh, I forgot which guy I was supposed to go to. Maybe, maybe that's a problem. Maybe he doesn't um, – I don't know. Maybe his, his work habits – I don't know. I don't know anything about Justin Fields, but my saying is I think we're all expecting him to be in the Heisman race next year. There are guys who just don't pan out the way you hope they would. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm not saying I hope he doesn't. I'm, all I'm saying is we make such a big deal about these transfers sometimes. And like Jalen Hurts, who I think the world of, and I hope he does great at Oklahoma. I'm not degrading him in any way. I don't think he's winning the third straight Heisman. And it'll be interesting to see if, if because he was restricted as a player, he wasn't, he had his limitations, as we all know, and was a tremendous winner, though, how that all plays out. To me, that those are the two most fascinating stories of college football next year. How does Jalen Hurts play, and how does Justin Fields play? There. I said it. All right, number three is um, it actually works out perfect. My knee surgery has finally been scheduled. We had to postpone it because of I took a shot. They gave me a shot. When they do that, they can't do it for a while. Doctor's out of town for a while. So guess what? April 19th is, is after the spring game, which is when we were going to shut it down anyway until – Till we got to the um, obviously camp, so you guys are stuck with me till whatever that Tuesday before that is. I think that would be the 18th and the 16th, and um, I need to get this done. It hurts a lot, and I'm tired of it hurting. Um, I didn't even mention this. I probably should. Friday was one of the coolest days of my life because my daughter started screaming and crying, and I thought, you know what. Travis Scott drop an album or something, you know. That's kind of that's that's her. That's the way she is. She overreacts to things. Like every movie she sees has changed her life, you know. But that's what's great about her is she's a very emotional kid, and I love that about her. But um, this time she was crying because she got into Florida, so somebody else cried. All right, we got to get out of here. Not mentioning names. We got to get out of here and uh, appreciate everybody for clicking on and we'll be back next week with another one. Um, Kind of running out of football topics because as I said, nothing much going on. And I know people really don't want to sit and listen to 45 minute basketball podcast. Not, not with this team, maybe not ever. Um, So you got to shoot, shoot me some suggestions, things you want, would like me to discuss. Maybe we'll just do an entire episode, not an entire episode, but a, a portion of the episode on here, here are five great questions I got about football people want to know. So shoot me those, and I will uh, we'll address those next week. Until then, I'm Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I'm deep, I'm way back, and I am out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.